Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode four of the Kennedy Mile Report podcast. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. We'd like to first thank our friends at Rocket Matter for sponsoring our show. And we're pleased to welcome back our friend and legal technology maven, Adriana Linares, as our guest co-host. Great to have you back, Adriana. Well, thank you. I'm glad to see all my groveling and internet campaigning paid off. It definitely (laughs) did. Tom, can you tell everybody what we're going to be talking about today? Absolutely. In this episode, we're going to uh, cover some breaking news that came out just this week, and we're going to ask the question, are the Kindle DX and the iPad, I guess the rumored iPad, leading us in the direction of LegalPad 2.0? We'll also answer some questions we've received, and as usual, we're going to end up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can begin to use as soon as this podcast is over. Uh, Hopefully, you might be listening to us live today, and if you've got any questions, you can just send that to to the Legal Talk account on Twitter. I'll introduce our topic today by talking about the news that just came out Wednesday, the announcement by Amazon that it will produce a larger version of its uh, ebook Kindle uh, later this year in a couple of months is what we understand. Let me give a little bit of the specs on it. Uh, the new Kindle DX will feature 9.7 inches of reading space as opposed to, to 6 inches on the, on the regular Kindle 2, which uh, will be enough to accommodate a full 8.5 by 11 inch page. They expect that it will have 3.3 gigabytes of space, which comes to about 3,500 books. Um, you can read on a single charge for four days with the wireless turn on, and then up to two weeks on a single charge with the wireless turned off. Um, There's a PDF reader that will allow you to read formatted PDFs for the first time on a Kindle. Uh, The the downside is the price tag. The price tag is $489, which is a little little pricey for a device of this nature. But what makes us really interested and kind of what made me want to talk about this this week is the uh, idea that Amazon is entering into some partnerships with publishers who account for about 60% of all tech textbook sales. And and the big news, which I think is really sort of interesting and exciting, is that at least five schools have signed on to distribute these Kindles to their students for using with textbooks. So here's the question that we pose in our first portion today. Does this mean anything for the legal profession? Is there anything about this that lawyers can take away and use? Or is this, are we just talking about newspapers and and school students who can benefit from something like this? Um, Dennis, what do you think about this? You know, Tom, when you first came up with this idea the other night. I It kind of puzzled me for a little bit. But the more I thought about it, the, the more interested I got in this. And I think this has a lot of potential. But I also recognize there's a long history of technologies that really seem to make sense for lawyers and create a lot of initial excitement, but don't go quite as far as you expect. And and I've been wrong about predicting how the tablet PC in OneNote was the perfect tool for, for lawyers. And I always felt, as Bob Wiss of CaseMap always used to say, that CaseMap could replace the legal pad, but that really hasn't happened yet. Lawyers still carry legal pads. The momentous change that you've seen in this in uh, legal pads seems to be that controversial move from eight and a half by four to eight and a half by 11 and from yellow paper to white paper. So, but I think the Kindle DX is, is 
is possibly something that uh, that is a big change, and 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 uh, and I think it's worth talking about. But first, I want to kind of give a little background, and and Adriana is a great choice for us to give a little background because I know she loves her Kindle too, the second generation. So, Adriana, what what's been your experience with the Kindle too, and and what have you seen with lawyers using the Kindle? Well, I you know I didn't buy the first Kindle because I wasn't really sure about it, and I whatever, it's expensive. So I went to buy the second Kindle and actually got it as a gift. Thank you. And what I've really used it for, I can't sit here and tell you that I'm a big book reader because I'm not a huge book reader. But as I started to read about the other things that the Kindle could do, which was um, I could view PDF files on there and Word documents once I converted them and I could listen to MP3s and it had the dictionary and it had some light web browsing that you could do. I started to think, well, maybe I should get one of these because one of the things that I wish I had more time to do and I don't is just read industry-related and business-related things. So I really got it or asked for it, I should say, with the intent of reading blogs and reading white papers and PDF files on there. And so far, it's been really, really great for that. And I love it. As far as how I see attorneys using it so far, to be honest, who I see using the Kindle the most are the people sitting next to me on airplanes. So I think attorneys are going to be at this point because of the limitations that it's had for reading their legal documents or... Well, let me finish that sentence. They're going to be like the rest of us, just using it for this and that. And I don't know how many of them are really using it to read their legal documents on it. But part of that might be that they don't know, they don't have the information or they hadn't figured out how they could get those documents converted and uploaded to their Kindle. You know, I, I, I use the Kindle the same way, Adriana. I love to, I have a lot of articles that I find on the internet that I want to read, um, but I don't always have time to, to, to do it in front of my computer. So I will throw those into a PDF file and load them up to the Kindle and read them when I'm on the road, when I'm on a plane, when I have other time to read. And it saves a lot of trees. I don't have to print those articles out and I can bring those with me. I, I think that's a fantastic way to use it. I, I'm skeptical and I've read some some articles about, you know, whether students are really going to use the Kindle for textbooks. I think it's a fantastic use for the Kindle for this new version for the big screen to be able to put college textbooks on it and and read um, from them and be able to get from page to page easily, unlike with a Kindle 2 where you don't really have any page delineation. But the one thing that concerns me is just the cost for students. I, I read an article oh, today yeah. that said that the that the point of, uh, of, of return on investment for a student probably doesn't come until the third year and they'll still be spending about as much as they would for textbooks um, into their third year. But but lawyers don't have this issue. And and uh, lawyers can afford that price. Wait a minute, and, wait, and, wait, wait a minute. Every student in the country managed to buy, find $600 for the first iPod. So, right, I yeah, mean, people iPhone. are out buying the iPhones, <laughs> the iPod iPhone. touches. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know if it's a cost issue because, you know, we all have iPhones and we all went out and bought the iPods. Every time they come out a new one, every teenager and every student manages to, you know, scrape up the money to buy one. And I won't say that it's a cost issue in terms of can't afford it. It's more of a return on investment idea, which is if you buy the Kindle now, you're not going to see that it's saving you any money on textbooks until your third year of college is, is what the articles I've been reading are saying. And so if, if students are looking at it and saying, well, if it's really no different from buying a textbook, I'll buy a used textbook and get all the highlighting in it and all the notes in it already. Why do I waste my time on a gadget that's not going to save me any money? on this. Now, I, I can have an argument to that, but 
But let me, <laughs> you well, have an well, the, the real yourself. argument is the backpack thing. I mean, it, what you That's see right. students That's say exactly is they right. look forward to this because they don't want to carry around 150 pounds of, of textbooks. I mean, I, I think the built-in PDF reader is key to the Kindle DX, and that's always been my reservation about the current Kindle. It seemed like it was a little bit too hard to get PDFs in there. So, yes. I mean, I, I'm intrigued by the potential benefits for reading magazines and newspapers, especially as we're in a world where people are wondering whether newspapers are even going to stay in business. But I see the potential benefit for advance sheets, treatises, all those sorts of things that, that lawyers get a bunch of paper coming onto their desk. And, and the readability of, of the Kindle and the, and the ability to have that with you at all times, I think is, uh, it could be really significant. Well, that's, and that's really what I wanted to talk about was when, when I was practicing law and going to the courthouse on a regular basis, if I went to a hearing, I would always have my, I would always have my rule book with me. And depending on which court I was in, sometimes I would have more than one rule book with me. And if I was going to trial, I might have three or four books with me. And that could take up an entire trial briefcase, which was, was a pain to carry around. Imagine being able to put all of these rule books on a Kindle and have it all on one one uh, device. I think that's tremendously useful. You know, they're putting, they've introduced a, a, an application for the iPhone now with Black's Law Dictionary. So you can read Black's Law Dictionary on your iPhone. I would really never want to read Black's Law Dictionary on an iPhone, <laughs> but I might read it on a Kindle. I might have it there with me so that if I need to pull a legal definition up in court at some point, I've got it right there. I think I think it's a great idea. Well, and think of the benefits of having our book on the Kindle, Tom, as we've long lobbied for. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think that that ability... Yeah, I mean, what people initially objected to with the iPod or they weren't sure about is like why you would want to have your entire music collection with you and carry it around. And, and people are now used to that. I think you have the same potential here. You're talking about 3,500 books that you could carry on a Kindle. That's a huge amount of information. And to have it handy and convenient, especially for certain types of lawyers, like if you're a tax lawyer, where you have these, you know, whole sets, whole shelves of books. And we're also in a world where the law firms are just frankly cutting down on the budget for libraries. So I think there's a lot of potential over time. Well, before we uh, go on to our question and answer, it's about time for that. Let's uh, let's finish this up with Dennis. Dennis, you have any closing thoughts on the subject? Well, I I, I did think we should mention that the iPad is sort of the annual summer rumor that that Apple is coming out with a Kindle killer, and and we've had those rumors again this year, um, and so that's the reference we made to the iPad. So, I mean, I guess my thought is that uh, based on my my own wrong predictions on the replacement of the legal pad, I don't see the Kindle DX as a replacement for the legal pad. Although it's interesting because there are some things you can do with highlighting and other things. But I do have the sense that something is happening. And when I hear some of the objections to the Kindle and what it might do, it reminds me a lot of the reasons that people say nobody's going to listen to MP3s or to iPods. So um, let's think about that. I, th I think there's a lot of potential here. I, I, I think you're right, Dennis. I have a question for Tom. Sure. Tom, when you go to transfer your PDFs, to your Kindle, are you using the free service or the paid service, which is, I think, 10 cents for every document? Well, it's probably going to, this is probably going to affect, uh, <laughs> I, I, it's probably going to change after I give the answer. I've been oh, using the service. Oh, why can't this be an easy answer? Well, no, that I, I, I've been using the service <laughs> that Amazon is supposed to charge you 10 cents. You, you email your PDF to Amazon, it charges 10 cents to your account, and it downloads it automatically to your Kindle. I have never been charged for a single document. 
Like I said, that was probably change after this podcast is over. <laughs> but but so far, I've been using that, and it works just fine. Okay, so I wanted to then mention that there's two ways to do it. That way, which is, you know, you email the document, and then it sends Amazon sends it back down to your wireless the way the Kindle's supposed to work. Or you can do it for free by setting up a free, you send it to your username at free.kindle.com and then it emails the document back to you and you download it by hooking up the Kindle to the your USB port. And in that case, it's free. Yep. So I just wanted to let our listeners know that there's two different ways to do it. Cause even though it's only 10 cents uh, a document, I can hear an attorney right now saying, Oh, well, I, you know, what if I want to do thousands of documents and, and all that? So there are some workarounds and it's not that expensive to start with. It can definitely add up. All right. We're going to move on to our audience questions. But before we do that, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsor, Rocket Matter. <laughs> By now, you may have heard of Rocket Matter, the blazingly fast online legal productivity application that is saving time and increasing profits at law firms across the world. Easily track time, tasks, clients, and matters. Take phone messages, manage your calendars, even print all your invoices with the click of a mouse and without installing anything. Stop by rocketmatter.com today and take a look. Rocket Matter. Work smarter, bill more, save time. Are you interested in sponsoring programs on the Legal Talk Network? We'd love to have you on board. Contact our sales department today at 781-551-9960. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and and now we'll take some questions from our audience. What do you have for us today, Tom? Just a reminder that you can submit questions for this segment on Twitter by sending a tweet to Legal Talk, or you can send us an email at tkmreport at gmail.com. We've got three questions today, and I think that's one for each one of us. So I'll start with the first one that I will take. Uh, It comes from a blog comment by Peter Wong or Wang. I'm not sure if I got your name right, Peter. I'm very interested in hearing how a small firm could use Adobe Acrobat Professional to help document production tasks like uh, Bates numbering and redaction. Do you have any suggestions? Well, fortunately, if you haven't used uh, the most recent version of Acrobat Professional or Acrobat 8, you're in luck because that version allows you to both bait stamp and redact documents. We don't have enough time to go through the entire process, but if you are in Acrobat, and you go to the advanced menu, and then there is a redaction option there that you go straight to, and it will allow you to set up a process where you are able to redact uh, text from documents. Now, it only works on documents that have been scanned in uh, OCR text, and it doesn't work as well when the document hasn't been scanned in, but uh, it, it, it works very well, and it permanently redacts that information once you've, uh, you've redacted it. If you want to bait stamp instead, you still go to that advanced menu, and you come down to document processing, and then there's a Submenu that leads you to Bates numbering, and you can add Bates numbers to one PDF or a large number of PDFs. You can actually do batch Bates numbering if you want to an entire folder of PDF files. Uh, just follow the instructions. Like I said, I don't have enough time to go through it here on, on how to do that. If you want more information, I would check out Rick Borstein's blog called Acrobat for Legal Professionals. We'll make sure that once we get the show notes posted, we'll include a, a link to that blog so you can learn more about that information. 
Let's go on to the. Anybody else have a, 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 an answer for that or any anything else they want to add? Well, just Rick's blog and Rick Borstein as a resource is just a tremendous resource. And, and Ernie Svensson also has a great PDF for lawyers blog that will answer a lot of the PDF questions. That's and, right. And I'd also say the new version, you can't say it often enough to go with the new version of Adobe Acrobat. Yep, totally agree. Next up, we have a question from Michael Odell Walker that I'm going to tee up to you, Dennis. Uh, Michael is preparing for a program on ethical issues involving social media, and he'd appreciate any links, articles, or other resources on the subject. I know you and I have had quite a discussion about that earlier today on the back channel. Um, What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I I do have a couple of thoughts about doing this type of presentation. I I did one a a year ago, and and my big thought is that... that, um, you got to spend a lot of time in these sessions explaining exactly what the different social media tools are. Um, a surprising amount of time doing that. So prepare for that. And then the other thing is that for an audit, for a presenter and for the audience, it's kind of an emotionally unsatisfying presentation because really there are no answers on any of this stuff. But what's the developments are happening really quickly and there's nothing that you can really point to. There are some things out there. If you do some, uh, some Google searches, uh, I recommend this one called Legal Ethics. Just do a Google search on Legal Ethics, Impossibly Confusing, and you'll find one of my uh, famous quotes on on the whole topic. But I think you, you really want to go back to first principles, stress the marketing rules, the early development of the websites, and try to, to say, how do we evolve within the existing rules? And that's the approach that I would take, almost a historical approach. You know, I, I think you're right about the fact that um, that th- what's out there is not consistent. And I, when I looked for information on it, I found that most of that information was a couple of years old, and it mostly pertained to blogs and not to social networking or Twitter or other types of social media. Um, one thing I will mention is that the ABA's Law Practice Management section is going to be uh, presenting this week, uh, this coming week in New Orleans, uh, the a session on the ethics of marketing in a Web 2.0 world. Uh, and that will ultimately be reprised as a webcast in July. So check on the law practice management website and you, you can get some information during the month of July on, uh, on ethics and, and marketing and social networking and, and, and the like. Let's move on to our third question. We've got this question from someone who wishes to remain anonymous. How should state bar associations be moving into social networking? Or I guess a better question, should they be moving into social networking? Adrian, I'll tee this up for you first. Oh, come on. That's a hard question. Uh, you know, of course, I think the state bars, if they do it smartly and wisely and, and really plan it right, they could certainly use a lot of the social networking avenues or, you know, if they wanted to create their own, which I think there are enough. And if there's some way you could tap into the whole social networking um system that exists currently, I think it would be a great idea for state bars and local bars and all of the legal organizations that exist. I mean, it's all the rage. Everybody's doing it. Yeah, I would say I would avoid creating one more silo. So to oh, extent, as yeah. Adriana said, to the extent that you leverage off of what's out there. So and and also take advantage of existing communities. So Missouri Missouri there's a great solo says email list. I could see that group starting some Facebook pages, you know, Facebook groups, things like that. So so I'd say leverage off what you have and to use the existing tools and then include some new things from the ABA and 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 some other groups as well. You know, I I, I will take sort of a contrary position in Natural. that I, I, of course. Well, that's, that is my that, that is my 
my my place here. I I think that it's smart in terms of social media, and I think that someone on Twitter lectured me about this one day. Is that it's important to have a presence wherever your members might happen to be, whether it's a huge presence or not, can be up to the state bar. But um, I think that having a Twitter account is a useful thing. I think that having a, a Facebook page is a useful thing. That if certain members of that organization want to use it, then it's there. It's available. It's another way for those bar associations to to reach out to their to service members. Service their members, right. I all right. I agree. I, I think that's a, I think that's an important thing. I agree that we don't want to create too many silos. I mean, the State Bar of Texas created a, a while back one of the first social networks for lawyers um, and the Texas Bar Circle, and it's a great idea. I'm not sure how it's caught on, just because it does create another silo for lawyers to 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 deal with, and so I think. Keeping in mind that balance, I think that we've got uh, state bars need to keep in mind that that they should have a presence, but but be be aware and also you know with our second question, keep in mind also the ethical issues involved too of setting up any social media sites. All right, we're done with our questions, so we will move along to our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second that this podcast ends. Dennis, take it away. Uh, Google profiles and people, lawyers and everybody else is paying, are paying thousands of dollars to search engine optimization companies and it, all in an effort to try to get your, your name on the, f the first page and, and Google, uh, the Google search results. And Google has now done this new thing called Google profile, which allows you to set up your own profile and put information into it. And then on a search for your own name, it will, they'll put that profile at the bottom of the search page. So you're, you're going to come up on the first page of a Google search on your own name with the information that you want, including pictures and, and some other things. And it's a great tool, save you, you know, thousands of dollars in SEO uh, costs if you want to do that. And it'll take you just a few minutes to do it. So a uh, uh, really easy thing, very simple to do. And I don't know what they've run out of the new, they have a business card promotion. So if you're one of the first 10,000 people to send in, you can get some free business cards that, with your uh, Google search results on it. So um, it's, it's something that's just crazy not to take advantage of. I've got my profile. Adriana, do you have yours? Oh, yeah, definitely. So what's your parting shot for today, Adriana? I have two. I have a, a regional and then a not uh, universal one. First of all, next week is the LPM's meeting in New Orleans. So if you happen to be in, in southern Louisiana or can drive over, it's not too late to sign up and come see some of us at the Law Practice Management Section meeting which is in conjunction with the Young Lawyers Division, and we'll all be there having a good time and partying, so please come see us. And then the other tip I want to give you is sort of talking about the Kindle and moving from traditional ways of studying or practicing law or doing your business. If you haven't done anything like this yet, get an e-fax number and try it out, or just a, a fax number via the internet. If you haven't tried Skype for making phone calls, get Skype, just set up an account and test it. If you haven't um, set up any other, you know, get rid of the fax machine, well, I've already said them, go ahead and try it. Just take the jump, take the risk, and try one new technology thing this week that might actually help you. 
Okay, and I'll mine up by, I'll continue on my contrarian theme. As much as I love the Kindle, I'm always looking for better ways to read the articles and, and the things that I find on the internet. And this week I found something that for me is incredibly useful. Um, it's called Read It Later. And with Read It Later, I can install an extension on, into Firefox or a bookmarklet into any other browser. And I find an article that I like. I click Read It Later or click the arrow, the, the check mark that appears in Firefox. And it sets up a folder that can be synced across multiple computers um, that holds all of the articles that I want to read at any time. I also get that little check mark in my Google Reader so I can automatically check it anytime that I see a new article I like in Google Reader to read. But that's only the beginning because where it's really useful to me is my iPhone app. Read It Later has an iPhone app that syncs all of the articles to iPhone. I can read everything on the iPhone that I'm reading in other places. I know I said earlier, I like reading on the Kindle better. I'll tell you, it's really nice reading these articles on the iPhone. But even better than that is once I've read the article, if I want to share it, I can share that article with about 20 different services. My email address, um, I, can, I can tweet about it, I can put it on Facebook, I can put it up to a number of different social media sites, and that sharing ability is tremendously useful. So go to readitlaterlist.com and download it. It's absolutely free. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Links to the topics we discussed today, as well as how to follow us on our blogs or on Twitter, will be available on the show notes wiki, which we promise we will finally hope to have set up next week. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions for upcoming topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. I'm Adriana Linares. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.